Hey, good to see you. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, Tyler, Ariana, thank you for sharing with us this morning. What a joy it is to hear about that, right? Um, one of the blessings of being here for a while, I mean, and I have been here for 14 years now, which isn't as long as some of you, but that's long enough, uh, long enough for, you know, to see all the warts and wrinkles, right? But uh, one of the blessings of being at a place for that long is watching the ongoing work of God over the course of a decade and a half in people's lives. And to, uh, like Tyler said, it's been, it's been such a cool experience to see you, Ariana, from when we got here being a young girl in our children's ministry, growing to the youth ministry, and really wrestling with the call of God on your life as a teenager, and what does that look like, and how do I submit to God's authority and call and still, you know, make sense of the world? What a, what a blessing it is to be able just to rejoice in that and share that. And church family, I'm so incredibly proud of you. Uh, for the way that you sacrificed and partnered with Ariana and her family to get her to the mission field. What a blessing that is. Uh, that remember, I don't know if you remember or not, but it took like three weeks to fully fund her for a year, which was an amazing, amazing gift that you guys gave. So what a great, great way to start, uh, to start this. You know, Ariana, Solomon says that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. And uh, I think sometimes what that means is that at the end of this thing, we were able to look back and trace the hand of God and see his provision. And I remember talking to you and your parents uh, at the beginning of this thing, and, uh, and it was pretty nerve-wracking for you and for them. And, uh, and looking back on it now, I think we can all see God's hand and say, wow, the end of this was truly better than its beginning as we've traced God's provision through it all. This morning, we are chugging along in our series through the Gospel of Mark feels like we're just doing a series in Mark chapter 1, but that's, what we're, right, that's where we are right now. For those of you keeping track at home, this is sermon number 5 in the first chapter. And uh, like I keep saying, I promise we're going to speed it up at some point, but today's not that day either. Um, that's like, I also tell our staff that I'm going to preach shorter sermons, and I tell them that every staff meeting for 10 years, and it hasn't gotten there yet, so I'm working on it. But we're, we are in the first chapter of Mark. I have loved this, this first opening volley in this series. It's been such a great excitement for me and fun for me as I've studied. I hope you've enjoyed it too. And we're, today we're going to look at something that, that to us seems like a rather odd experience, but apparently wasn't all that out of the ordinary for Jesus and his disciples. So we're in Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21, and we're going to read all the way to verse 34. Here's what Mark tells us. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. 
And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time already today and all that we've heard and experienced. And God, we look forward with excitement over these next few moments because we know that your presence will be here again. So God, we ask that you'd speak to us through the power of your word, that you would move among us through the presence of your spirit, that you would inspire in us a love greater than the loves of this world. Lord, we pray for those in the room who are hurting today. We pray for the grieving, that they would find comfort. We pray for the sick, that they would be made well. We pray for the downcast and the discouraged, that they would see the hope of Jesus. We pray for parents wrestling with children and all of those issues. God, I pray that you'd provide comfort and grace to them. Pray for husbands and wives at odds with their spouse. Pray that you'd bring reconciliation. We pray for those who are addicted, that today they'd find freedom. We pray for those who have lost faith in your promises, that today they would see that you are true and good and trustworthy. We pray for your church today to be strengthened and nourished and built up and edified by your word. There is no substitute. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Michael asked me today if I had a title. I don't have a title. I've given up. I've, my titles have been so, they've lacked cleverness for so long now. I've worked so hard and I've been so discouraged that at this point I've just not named it anything. So we're just going to, I don't know, he'll text me on Tuesday and say I need something for the website. So if you have a good title, text me or Michael and let us know. But for, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a couple observations about this amazing passage, this really weird passage to us. But again, if you, if you trace through the, the Gospels, this wasn't all that out of the ordinary for Jesus. And in certain places of the world, our missionary brothers and sisters, this isn't all that out of the ordinary for them. All right, so what we see first is a sense of authority in the synagogue. Immediately they go to Capernaum, which is the home base for Jesus and his disciples. They are moving on up. They are no longer in Nazareth in a backwoods town, but Capernaum is actually a pretty nice city, a thriving city. Uh, not an enormous city. It's not Corinth. It's not Ephesus, but it's a nice city with a, a lucrative uh, industrial center. And there's a synagogue in the city, which isn't all that surprising. There, there uh, was required a quorum of 10 Jewish men to establish a synagogue in a city. So it would have been led, this synagogue would have been led by an administrator of sorts, a president who presided over the um, synagogue. And it would have been taught or instructed by visiting, rotating teachers and rabbis. Which is why when you look at the, like for instance, the, the story of Paul's missionary journeys, which is why he's able to teach in the synagogues. Because it was, it was an appropriate and expected thing that the traveling, visiting teachers would have an opportunity to share with the synagogues uh, the word. So Jesus arrives and he begins to teach, much like other teachers had done. But there was something that marked this, this teaching that was very different than the teaching they had heard before. They were astonished, actually. It had quite a powerful effect on his hearers. And why is it that they were astonished? Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us, you know, it wasn't his charisma. 
that astonished the people. It wasn't his funny jokes. It wasn't his illuminating illustrations about his children. It wasn't his level of education. It was the authority that he carried while he taught. This teaching that they were experiencing came with authority, and that is what left them astonished. They had never heard something like this. And he goes on to say, and not as the scribes. Ouch, I'd hate to be the scribes at that point. Jesus' teaching is amazing. It's astonishing. It comes with authority, not like those other guys. The scribes were the copyists of the law, and they became experts in the law. They were the defenders, the gatekeepers of oral tradition, and the espousers and, and proponents of oral tradition. So these men, these men were the experts on the law of God. It was through the oral tradition and the ever-expanding oral tradition that you get all the laws of the Pharisees and the the, the uh, laws about whether it's lawful to spit in the ground on a Sabbath day and pick grain on a It was the expanded scope of the law. These guys were in charge of that. But when they spoke, it was different. There was no burden of authority or burden of power when they taught. Another way of saying it would be when they spoke, you didn't get a sense that you were listening not to the words of the preacher, but to God himself. That there was no discernible evidence that this was an encounter with the divine through his word, but an encounter with words. And they also spoke and based their convictions on other scholars, not necessarily on their own authority. So in essence, it was offering a bit of a historical lecture quoting and citing other scholastic resources, saying, Here's, here, this rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that. Here's how we are to interpret it. And the result is a body of information that gets presented with a measure of guilt and shame because you're not meeting up to that standard, which is why Jesus said, you make these converts twice the sons of hell as you are. You just heap burdens to people's backs. You're not lifting burdens with this message. You're giving them more stuff to do. You tithe your dill and your cumin and your spices and neglect the weightier matters of the law. They're just adding, adding stuff on, heaping the burden and the shame on top. But it ended with that. It didn't end with hope. It didn't end with repentance and faith. It didn't end with gospel truth. It didn't end with the power of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this earth. Instead, it just ended with guilt and shame. But when Jesus spoke, his words were full of authority. They were expressions of power and authority. And it wasn't someone else's authority. Jesus' words don't contain a borrowed authority like mine do. Like Christians do, like the preachers of the gospel do. Our authority is borrowed authority. I don't stand here on my own authority, which is why my personal opinions on matters are not all that important, which is why I try hard to remove those from this conversation. Because my potential libertarian leanings don't really matter much to you. 
and they don't change your heart. And my personal opinion about the roughing the passer rule has nothing to do with whether or not you're growing in Jesus. My authority is a borrowed authority. And the moment I step out of the lane of God's revelation, I am way out past the skis in my pastoral responsibility. I don't have the authority to sit down in your life and tell you what to do if God has not spoken. I don't have the authority to lead a congregation anywhere if it's out of, where, out of bounds with what God has spoken. It's a borrowed authority. Jesus doesn't have that. Jesus stands up and says, thus says me. Right? He's not, a, he's not translating anything. Like, I have to tell you, here's what Jesus says, and now I have to go to you and say, now here's what that means. Jesus says, no, there it is. You completely eliminate the middleman. He does, his is not a borrowed authority. He speaks with authority. And that authority compels these people. They go, oh my gosh, God is speaking. This isn't like what I heard before. Some of you, and this is not the exact same, because illustrations fall short, but some of you know this feeling firsthand. Some of you grew up in church communities that didn't have a strong conviction that the Bible was the revealed will and authority of God on all matters of faith and godliness. So it was taught to you as a heartwarming story, as a little nugget of wisdom, as a step to enjoying your life, but it was not taught to you as the revealed will, nature, and purpose of God. And then you found yourself one day, because you were frankly kind of bored with that, because there was no weight in it, there was no bite to it, you didn't have to do anything with it. One day you found yourself sitting in a church similar to one like this, and the guy up front had that conviction that what you're hearing is not just a suggestion, but this is God speaking, and you were overcome by the sense, by the power and the authority that you heard, because you thought, oh my goodness, this is different than anything else I've heard. Because it sounds like, it feels like God is speaking to me through what that guy is saying. I can't tell you how many times through the years I've heard somebody say to me something almost exactly like that. I grew up in a church and I had heard Bible teaching, but I had never heard it like and what they mean, what they're trying to say. Again, it's not the funny illustration, and it's not the lighthearted humor. What they're trying to say is, it was never presented to me that God was speaking to me through the authority of his word. And just for the sake of clarity here, the point that Mark is trying to make for us is that Jesus' teaching contained something distinctive, and that was authority unlike anything they'd ever seen or heard before. And then things get a little weird. There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. Present in the crowd that day was somebody with a, a demonic spiritual presence oppressing and possessing the man's body. And when he heard this new and distinctive teaching, when he heard that the authority of Jesus was being presented, when he understood this is the power of God coming to people, he cried out with a loud voice, what are you doing here? What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? That's what he said. R.C. Sproul seems to think that he is acting as a representative of the entire kingdom of darkness. Shaking in his boots. A defeated foe who knows that the power that he's up against is greater than any power he has. 
And he says, what are you doing here, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? Yes, that's exactly what happened. Jesus has come to destroy the kingdom of darkness through the death that he died and fulfilling the law's commands as the sacrifice for our sin. He will once and for all triumph over the enemy and all of his forces. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. Not quite yet, but that's exactly the plan. This guy's outing him right up front. He hasn't even gotten started. It's like he's pulling the mask off, the, off of Batman. Everyone's like, whoa, it's Bruce Wayne. Look at him. So he says to him, I know who you are, Jesus. You're the son of God. You're the holy one of God. So what's he doing? Remember how Jesus, you'll see it as we go through Mark. He continues to try to hide his identity. It's not quite yet his time to be revealed fully and glorified. He doesn't want this just getting out. He doesn't want the show and the circus that's going to come. So he He tries to hide it. This guy, right up front, is like, no, I'm going to expose him for who he is. I'm going to out him right here, right now. He says, you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus, Jesus speaks to him. He rebukes him, not the man, but the spiritual presence, the demon. He rebukes him and says, be silent. Or that, that, by the way, that is actually a little too gracious of a way. And he actually said to him, shut up. I've been waiting to say that in the pulpit for a long time. He says, shut up. Come out of him. Notice he doesn't have to say by anybody else's power. Notice that he's not saying, in the name of Jesus, I command you. In the name, it is not borrowed authority. Not gonna lie, I've been in some, I've been in some pretty hairy situations in ministry. Stuff that make your head spin and your toes curl and keep you up at night, make you cry. Right, And in those moments, it is not my authority that I'm leaning on, but the power of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, by the power of my Father, I command you to... No, no, no. His isn't borrowed. It's his authority. He has the strength. He has the power. And he speaks, come out of him. And the, man, the, the demon causes the man to convulse, and he comes out of him. And all who were around were amazed, because that makes for a really interesting church service. That is something you'll be talking about at dinner for the next three weeks. Somebody be sharing that on Facebook real quick, right? That, they're astonished because that's amazing. And what are they astonished about? What does it say? A new teaching with authority? And what is it that causes these people to be blown away? He speaks and the demons obey him. For those of you who are keeping track at home, so far, Jesus has authority over men's lives because he says, come, follow me, and they lay down their nets and they follow him. He has authority with the word because he teaches with authority. He now has expressed his power over the spiritual realm, and he's not done yet. And at once, the Bible says, fame spreads throughout the city, everywhere throughout the region. Yeah, because that's what happens. When crazy stuff like that goes down, that word spreads quickly. So next, next we see a physical healing. We just saw a spiritual healing and deliverance. Now we see a physical healing. The Bible says immediately, there's that word again, he's rapid fire. Immediately now, he leaves the synagogue and he enters the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately, there it is again, Immediately they told him about her. Her need was presented to him right away. And the Bible says that he took her by the hand and he lifted her up. 
that he came and he took her by the hand. He touched her. And we've, we've seen examples through the scriptures where we've been able to see Jesus healing through mere word. We just saw him heal through deliverance, speaking, and the, the oppression left. We've seen him heal the, the daughter of, of Jairus, right? Like he, he doesn't have to be there physically if he chooses not to. His word is enough, and yet in tenderness, he touches her, takes her by the hand, raises her up, raises her up. I think it was an intentional word. And the fever leaves her. So he's got power over sickness, too. He's got power over men's lives, their dreams, their careers, their futures. He's got power in authority and teaching. He's got power over the spirit realm. He's got power over the physical realm of illness and disease. What manner of man is this, his disciple says, that he speaks and the wind and the waves obey him? The, the picture is really clear. You are, as a reader of Mark's gospel, supposed to see something very distinct. Jesus is really strong. And that's really simplistic today. And I, I apologize for it. But that's exactly the message. He has power over everything. Everything. And that evening they had a bit of a party at Simon's house. Because the whole city shows up. Have you ever been in that situation? You ever been in that situation where you're like, I think I'll have a few friends over. And all of a sudden, you run out of chicken wings, and you got no more Pepsi, because that one kid invited, like, everybody they knew, right? You ever been in that situation? The Bible says the whole city was there. Everybody showed up. I wonder why they showed up. Well... He cast a demon out of a dude at church and then he healed a sick lady by touching her and people talk about that stuff. Word, word gets out. Just a quick note. Do you know what happens when word gets out in a community that God is doing something in the hearts and lives of people? In the hearts and lives of a congregation? You know what happens when word gets out that hope is being restored to the hopeless? That the addicted are being liberated and finding peace? That marriages are being restored? Do you know what happens when, when, when healings are going on, when people are growing? Do you know what happens? Word gets out and hurting people come because the people in need of a miracle are at the front of the line. There is hope in that. You know what there's not hope in? A boring historical lecture. You know what there's not hope in? A legalistic interpretation that beats people down with shame and guilt because they can't righteously fulfill all the law's demands. You know what lifts a burden? The gospel of Jesus. That I can't earn this, but he paid the price for me so I don't have to. That I am more, more damaged and broken and lost than I ever dreamed of being, and yet simultaneously in him I am more loved than I could ever imagine. Knowing your stories, hearing what God's doing in your life, that gives people hope. Here's a, here's a question for you. 
Are you, are you being willing? Are you taking the step of faith and actually sharing with your loved ones what God is doing in your heart and in your life? Are you willing to bear testimony and bear witness to the work of the gospel as he's transforming you? Do your friends and loved ones know that you found healing and hope and forgiveness and joy? Do they know that you found it here? Are you inviting people to come and see what God has done? Do you know what happens when word gets out? The people in need of a miracle are at the front of the line. I don't know if you know this or not, but the world we live in is lost and dark and hurting. Our young people are being swept up in this opioid crisis like never before. We've got, we've got generations of people wrestling with the big questions of life without any kind of foundation of truth at all. They are a wash in the system. They are hopeless and lost and without God in this world and they need something. Have you become an ambassador for Jesus? Do the hurting in your city know that you found in him a love greater than anything this world has to offer? Do they know that even though the circumstances of your life are upside down, that you are rooted in him and anchored in him and content in him? How will they know unless you preach to them? And I'm not talking about beating them down and laying burdens on them. I'm just talking about opening your mouth and say, you've got to come see what this guy did in my life. Because when word gets out, the people in need of a miracle are at the front of the line. And that night he healed many. He's not turning them away. He healed the sick. He sets the captive free. Those who are in spiritual bondage. He silences demons. The, that very night what happened was the king of heaven flexes the muscle of divine authority and power over sickness, disease, and spiritual oppression. That very night Christ displays the authority of a new kingdom. And that authority of the new kingdom, get this, did not lay burdens on the backs of the vulnerable and the oppressed, but instead the authority of the new kingdom liberated and healed and empowered and rescued and inspired hope. That new king and that new kingdom did all of that. The old kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of our enemy, inspires shame and guilt and reproach, sickness and disease. But the kingdom of heaven flexes its muscle and empowers and liberates and sets free. All right. And then he says, shh, don't tell anybody. Right, right. I think that is the worst obeyed commandment of Jesus in all the scriptures, right? Hey, don't go tell anybody that I just completely changed your life. And they went away rejoicing, telling everybody, right? Like, thankfully, he doesn't hold them accountable to that, doesn't get too mad at them for it. All right, so what? What does that mean for us what are we supposed to do with that? That was a weird passage. What are we supposed to do with it all? Here, here's what I think we can see. Now, sometimes, sometimes we read the Bible and the application points are really easy. Like when it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to come up with a so what point for that. It sounds like this. So what? Love your neighbor as yourself. My work's done here. I can go home. Right? Sometimes the passage doesn't, especially in a story, in a narrative like this, the passage doesn't give us those propositions to hang our hats on. There's no, like, there's no real clear directive like, oh, here's what I do in response to that. 
Sometimes the passage is more about, here's how I have to shape my thinking in response to that. I have to submit my mind and my will to what God has revealed, and he'll lead me to do the appropriate thing. This is one of those days. Here's what we need to see, because here's what, what Mark was making abundantly clear. Number one, the authority of Jesus. The clearest, most obvious focus of the passage I see this as the major question to wrestle with as we're reading this passage. What is my response to the revealed authority of Jesus? What what is that? He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is powerful over my life and over the, the wind and the waves, over the forces of darkness, over sickness and disease. He has authority. What is my appropriate response? How do I live well under his authority? Am I following him? Am I submitting to him? Am I fighting him as he leads me? Am I rebelling against me? Is he my Lord? Have I seen him as the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Have I reckoned with his all-surpassing power and bowed my knee and trusted him? The clear point of this passage is Jesus is the authority, which begs the question, how are you living under his authority? Are you? Are you living under his authority? One day, the Bible says, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. There's coming a day where you will have no choice in the matter. And like a big brother grabbing your little brother's neck and jamming him down to the ground, you will be strong-armed into submission by the power of Jesus. And today, his grace calls to you to joyfully submit to him and receive from him blessing and honor and glory. Are you living well in submission to Jesus? Secondly, I want want us to see the power of Jesus' words. We should never forget that the words of Jesus are the words of the ruling and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. And as such, they are to be cherished, they are to be loved, and we are to yield ourselves to them. He speaks, and the fishermen lay down their nets, leave the boats and their dad, and go follow him. He speaks and the demon comes out. He speaks and the religious people are astonished. We've seen over and over again through the Gospels, he speaks and sickness and illness are overcome. We are to yield to the words of Jesus. Quick note here, though, about the modern church's obsession with speaking messages of hope over our lives. And this might go into the category of of personal preference. I don't know, but here it is. If it is, then just take it out. But I think we need to be reminded today that it is not my conjuring up of messages of goodwill that inspire me and grow me in the Lord. The idea that I have some kind of mystical power in my words of positive uh, inclination, that I can just speak words and messages of hope over people and all of a sudden it brings some kind of effect, is garbage, okay? The authority that we have as God's ministers and the authority we have as God's people is dependent on what God has revealed as authoritative, okay? So what you need to do, if you're, if you're one of those people who wants to speak words of hope and forgiveness and grace and inspiration to your friends and loved ones, speak his words over your friends and loved ones. Not your own. Not your own interpretation. Not your own thoughts. Not your own preferences. Speak his words over your friends and loved ones in your family. And let God's word have the power. Okay. All that to say, notice the power of Jesus' words. Be reminded today that your words are not his words. 
And the power of your words really is dependent on how closely they're connected to his words. You're a broker in all of this. It's not yours. It's borrowed authority and borrowed power, and the power is not in you but in the word. All right, something else that struck me in this passage, and I'm going to be finished up here in just a moment, is the beautiful humility of Jesus. And you might say, Matt, that's not in this passage. Well, no, not yet, but the seed is there. Because we know Mark is highlighting the authority of Jesus. He is the king who's come to bring in this new kingdom. And the king possesses power and authority that are commensurate with the position. He could have called to thousands of angels to destroy the world and set him free. Right? Remember the thief on the cross? If you're the son of God, save him. Save yourself. Save us. He has the power and authority commensurate with the position. He has the power over all heaven and all of earth. And when we see this power in Jesus, we stand in awe. We're astonished. This is greatness. This is the king we've longed for. This is the leader our nation needs. This is the, the shepherd that God's people have to have. And we're, we're just awestruck. But because we know the rest of the story, we can't help but see this power and authority and marvel at the fact that out of the depth of God's love for us, he condescended. Out of the depth of God's love for us, he laid aside the free exercise of that majesty and power and authority and glory and veiled himself in flesh, in suffering, in grief, in order to come rescue us. And so we are astonished at his power. What also should astonish the people of God is that that king would humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we say with the psalmist, what is man that you are mindful of him? My goodness, what, what manner of love is this? That God in his mercy would give us the power to become the sons and the daughters of God. That he would leverage his authority and his kingdom and his position of wealth and influence. That he would leverage power into weakness and humility to build us up and empower the weak. Now there's a whole other message in how the people of God ought to respond to the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and the abandoned in culture. But I feel like I've stepped on enough toes today already. Suffice it to say that the people of God should be at the front of the line in the justice movements. Because of all people, we know what it is to be broken, poor, and powerless and have somebody in authority bend down, stoop down, and leverage all of that to lift us up. That is the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Not one that pushes down on those who are weak and downtrodden and oppressed, but instead one that submits himself and builds those people up like we just sang about. Man, this gospel of Mark stuff is good. Who is man that you are mindful of him? What did we have to offer that God would do that? And the answer is nothing. This is all purely out of his marvelous grace, which gives us reason to rejoice today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and its power. Thank you for its authority in our lives. Thank you that when it speaks, we hear your voice. And thank you, God, that you woo us, you call to us, you, you pursue us. Lord, I pray for your church here gathered this morning 
that we would be the kind of congregation that finds gladness and comfort and joy in submission to your authority. God, forgive us for the ways that our kingdoms of self war against your kingdom's demands. God, we wish we could battle this better, but we're struggling. Would you, God, please provide the power? Strengthen us, empower us to stand and to be submissive to your leadership and rule. Lord, we rejoice that you were one who laid aside power and authority for a season to lift up the poor and the powerless. And God, we just rejoice that at just the right time, somebody came to us and told us the message. Lord, I pray that you would mobilize our church family into this community today to share with others the story of what you're doing in our lives because people are in need of your miraculous grace. God, help us to be good ambassadors of this new kingdom. And Lord, I pray that your empowering grace would sweep over us, that we would find great joy in you, that our hearts would be stirred this morning to faith and to good deeds, that we would see ourselves adequately, just like the Bible presents us, lost and helpless and miraculously found in Jesus. It's in his glorious name that we pray. Amen.